Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest Empire Podcast interview special. Tom Hiddleston has been playing Loki, the god of mischief, Odin's son, the rightful king of Jotunheim, an all-round horny bugger for nigh on a decade now. And in the process, he's made himself one of the most important cogs in the giant wheel it is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, with the dawn of Avengers Infinity War, he may be saying goodbye to Loki once and for all. May. May. Emphasis. Heavily on May. I sat down with Tom recently in a London hotel room and had a good old natter about his life as Loki. He was on great reflective form, had a lot to say about how Loki came to be, his favourite moments, an alternate fate for the tricky trickster, and much, much more. He even answers some questions from his fans, the ever-loyal Hiddlestoners. Hiddlestoners, is that right? Hiddlestonians? Anyway, his ever-loyal fans. So, here we go. Tom Hiddleston, talking about life as Loki. Enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by a stalwart of the Emperor Podcast and perhaps more importantly, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Tom Hiddleston. How are you, sir? I'm very good. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me back. Oh, no, thanks for, thanks for coming back. I was going to play uh, Frank Sinatra's uh, My Way as you walked in through the door. It's <laughs> very good. How, what are the lyrics to that? I've well, Regrets, I've had a few. Yeah. Have you uh, had a few? <laughs> or have you had no regrets? No regrets. No regrets. You can't regret anything. Yeah. It's water under the bridge. Yeah. Um, we can't talk about this movie, though. We can't. We can't talk about it because I haven't seen it. Oh, really? And neither of you. No, I at haven't. At the time of recording. At the anyway. time of recording, yeah. Um, and I never read it. This is the only Marvel film I've, I'm in that I've never read. Uh, and I think that's true of almost everyone in this large cast, uh, except for um, maybe three. Three actors got okay. to see the whole thing. Okay. I'm guessing Downey, because he gets to see everything. Yes. He has the keys to the kingdom. Yes, yes. Uh, and I wonder who the other two are. This is this is interesting. I'll try and figure out. Do you know who they are, or are you, one of are you just called Chris? <laughs> well, that narrows it down. The seven of them. <laughs> yeah, so it's weird. We can't talk about it because I don't know what it. happens. Yeah. Okay. I but, genuinely don't though. Oh, good. Okay. Um, there was footage that the the, the footage that's being screened um, in the run up to the release is was new to me as well, uh-huh. and it was a thrill to see because I thought. Wow! Look at that. And you're and you're not in that footage. They're they're, they're holding you back. They're they holding indeed, back yes. what happens to Loki. Yeah. If indeed anything happens to Loki, he's just like having takeaway. Yeah, he's um, he's, he's just having a sandwich and a cup of tea. Going, guys, just get it together. It's only, it's only an Infinity War. He's running through the fields. Uh-huh. So what I thought we could do instead, Tom, is we could talk. We could we could have a Loki conversation. We could uh, we could talk about your. I was going to say eight years uh, as the God of Mischief, but of course it's it's longer. You probably started filming. Thor when two thousand no so it, it it's actually te- so technically I suppose it is eight but I was yeah. cast in um, April of two thousand and nine okay so in my head it feels like nine okay so we're coming um, up the, the ninth anniversary is just around the corner yeah exactly um, I think it was and also the audition process was before that so Chris. Chris and I were cast at the same Hemsworth, that yes. is, of the 11 Chris's we're talking about. That number's going to get There's Chris larger. Downey Jr., there's, yes, there's Chris yes, Boseman. Chris Cumberbatch. <laughs> um, yes, Chris Hemsworth and I were cast in April 2009. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then really from that point on, it felt like he and I and Kenneth Branagh were um, building this world. Mm. Um, and it, what's interesting is in the years since, to sort of use a slightly ordinary metaphor we kind of put new bells and whistles on the bicycle every time Mm. but in that event it felt like we were building the bicycle from scratch Mm. we were building asgard we were building 
the Bifrost, we were building the Rainbow Bridge. We had all these things from the comics, which Kevin Feige will admit he was a little, um, he was anxious about getting right mm. because at the time the Marvel Universe was Iron Man. It was grounded, it was earthbound, Tony Stark. Robert Downey Jr., a recognisable world people could relate to. Mm. Suddenly you're dealing with eight-legged horses and <laughs> shining cities in the sky and frost giants, and, and we all wondered whether audiences would accept it. And so yeah. it was trying to what, take what we could from the, from the comics, from the Norse myths, from, from you know, these ancient stories that have been in the, in the, in the consciousness mm. for, for so long. Mm. So that's why it feels like it started in 2009, I guess. It's been fascinating watching the evolution of the MCU over the last few years to the point where you can see the confidence building mm. in embracing the absurdity yeah. of certain con- comic book concepts yes, yeah. to the point where we have Ragnarok, which is a, a complete uh, Jack Kirby colourful trip with giant wolves and yeah. all sorts of stuff going on. Uh, whereas back in the day, I imagine, I imagine there was a whole lot of debate about Loki's horns. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Uh, Although they were pretty settled on doing that because it because it felt like if we didn't, then there would be some. We would have somehow done, wouldn't have done the character justice because mm. it's so in the comics so identifiable, mm. even in a quite a early, almost kind of caricatured way. That very first journey into mystery panel. Yes. He's cackling at the sky with these enormous horns. On. <laughs> I will get you Thor. You know, you can hear, hear the voice. Um, and so it felt like at some point he should wear them. Uh, but yes, all these conversations actually, I mean, in the comics, his costume is almost yellow. Yes. But Alexandra Byrne and I knew that a yellow costume just wasn't going to work. But yeah. So you should take a bit of green and then think, well, we could make it gold. Let's burnish the gold, make it a bit distressed. And thinking about even, it's funny to, to think about building him from scratch. Because, and I, I still find this fascinating that, if you describe Loki on the page as he is now, you know, this edgy, dark-haired, pale-skinned, very, uh, this combination of kind of emotional turmoil and and twinkling delight and charm, I don't think you'd pick me out of a casting book. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't think, you know, it's so unlikely with my ginger beard and my, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I've just like born around the corner at the Middlesex Hospital. It's just, <laughs> in, and it's so, it's so. I look back at it and think it's so, it's so extraordinary in a way that I ended up in this part. But the, the, the I mean this sincerely. The privilege yeah. I've had is that, is that he's this archetype, the yeah. trickster, yeah. somebody who delights in chaos, someone mm-hmm. whose role in society is to, is to subvert and disrupt because he enjoys it mm-hmm. and and this idea of incarnating mischief and what that means rooting it in a familial drama but also representing this sort of thing we're all afraid of mm. chaos mm. we like to believe as human beings that we can fashion order from the terrifying chaos mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. life is mm-hmm. and mostly we can't mm. and the idea that there's some archetypal being that represents that <laughs> is amazing um and it's amazing the decisions we made, the decisions which are now uh, almost set in stone. They've become yeah. they've become part of the architecture. I mean, it's it's fascinating. I mean, you you uh, you did a fake Loki voice there for for just a second, and I can imagine an iteration of this character where he does talk like that. Yes, yes. Oh, Thor! Yes, I'll get I will you. be revenge on you, Thor. <laughs> <laughs> 
You should have played it like that. You There's still time to go back and George Lucas <laughs> yeah. the whole thing. Uh, but the, the the voice is very natural. It's very it's your voice. Yes. Uh, so not quite, it's not quite. I mean, yeah. it's, sometimes it is and and sometimes it isn't. And we play with that actually. So every director that I've worked with across the films has has asked for scenes in a more naturalistic mm-hmm. uh, tone, mm-hmm. and then they've asked, maybe each of the masks for sort of now lean into his his kind of. Um, some sort of primal emotion which mm. represents that he's the antagonist. And so it becomes darker, more sinister, more... But sometimes for comedic effect, it's more like my voice in a way. Um, <laughs> like when pointing my scepter at Tony Stark's heart in yes. The In Avengers. This usually yes. works. Yes. You know. Yeah. And um, very naturalistic in uh, Thor Ragnarok as well. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I guess that comes from having so many movies in the, in the MCU. I think you're unique in that you've been directed each time by a different director. I'd need to look at my spreadsheet, That's Tom. Correct. As you know, I have no, a spreadsheet. That is correct, yeah. Yeah. Kenneth so. Branagh, Joss Whedon, Alan Taylor, Taika Waititi, Joe and Anthony Rousseau. There we go. Yeah. So, so are, are you the through line then <laughs> in, in keeping track of Loki? Because each director will bring something different to it. Each director will want something different from it. Are you the, the, the keeper of the of the key, so to speak? That, well, that's really interesting. I, I I always feel very kind of grateful and humbled when... So Taika and I went... We, to eat, we went out for a bowl of pasta before we started Ragnarok, and he said, he said I'm going to change quite a lot, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not going to change you. Okay. And, I, and, I, and it, I took that as a huge compliment. Yeah. But then he also... We did change things, actually. But he was really... You know, of course, as we've everyone's seen Ragnarok, he radically changed things, mm. specifically with regards to Thor, you know, chop his hair... Like, just yeah. break him down, chop yeah. his hair off. And uh, and Asgard too, but I also I do feel like it's different every time, in a way that I'm not fully conscious of. But I've always felt a responsibility to to both honour the respect in which the character is held, mm. but also to try to take it and and progress it on so that it isn't just me reheating the same meat yeah. in the microwave. Yes. Because <laughs> the Loki in Ragnarok is hugely different from the Loki that we meet back in the first Thor. Totally, yeah. Uh, and I, I would imagine, I, I'd probably say his evolution as a character is probably the most uh, drastic mm. of pretty much any character in the MCU. Where he goes, he goes from apps, well, a conflicted villain in the yes. first movie to... Yeah, yeah. Trying to take over the the Earth and kill lots of people in in Avengers, mm. uh, and then by Thor Ragnarok, there's still a sense of the the chaos, still a sense of the mischief. Yes, but certainly there's a sense of um, reconciliation with with Thor, and a yes. sense that he's no longer. Uh, even if you gave him the Tesseract, he wouldn't try and take over the world with it. That's my reading, anyway. I don't know. I don't know what yours is. Mm, yes. Well, um, <laughs> no. If I remember, I remember when I finally. Um, Read Ragnarok. I mean, lo- lots of it when I first, because it, it it was a while before I actually saw the script or spoke to Taika, mm. and eventually I, we got he p- p- pitched me the beginning with the sort of the idea of Thor coming back, and and there being this play that Loki's watching, uh, <laughs> in the body of Anthony Hopkins as Odin, um, <laughs> and it's all about self glorification, but it's g- generally actually quite benign. It's just unbelievably narcissistic, yeah, and. And then I found the the capitulation or the reconciliation of the of this drama that we started with Kenneth Branagh about a father and two sons. Mm. And there is that moment in, in Ragnarok where the first thing the real Odin says 
is hello my sons yes sons plural yes there's no distinction between thor and yeah. loki they're both his sons and that catches loki off guard yes and there isn't time in ragnarok to explore the profundity of what that means to him but that in that moment he know all somehow all of the old the axe that he's been grinding since that moment in the vault yes. in the first film yes where he felt like he didn't belong where but, he felt yeah. like he was outside the family uh the nuclear family is sort of if not fully healed it's he has a new perspective on it mm. I've, i've watched the scene a number of times and Loki doesn't speak in no. that scene were there any lines did you have any lines that were cut or was that a very conscious decision on, on your and taika's part i don't remember actually um i know that i remember there was if there was any if there were any lines there were very few yeah but very a very duke i do remember that the first thing he says after odin's death is brother yes um turning yeah. to thor as if to as if to as if to proffer an olive branch yes. to say this this wasn't me yeah. this isn't my fault you are my brother mm. and whatever happens next we should we should stay together you know mm. we need to like look look after each other or have each other's back and i love the idea as taika presented it and and Kevin Feige and Ludi Esposito at Marvel that what happens at the beginning of Ragnarok is so destabilizing for mm. both Thor and Loki that they that actually they are all they have as in there's nothing left everyone's gone Odin's gone Frigga's gone mm. the warriors three are gone Asgard is basically gone and and so Thor and Loki turn to each other and say you're all I have left yes and and actually that's enough Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um as and it all comes to a a kind of a a fulcral point in the elevator. Mm. Um Yes. I yes. think which Absolutely. was a very key scene. We all knew that was a key scene. We shot it very quickly. Oh, um, really? okay. Literally okay. we shot it in about 20 minutes because we just <laughs> we knew we knew what it had to be. Tyker knew he wanted it in a mostly in a two shot. Uh-huh. So that it was uh they were finishing each other's sentences. You mm-hmm. could see and it's been really nice. So Alan Taylor and Tyker and and the Russo brothers have been very respectful of the brotherly relationship between Chris and myself. They mm. they they read it as real. They know it's real. They say this is the moment where you do your thing, where you you talk to each other like you've known each other for all your lives and and every film touches on that moment, I think. Uh that's the scene where he uh, Hemsworth improvised get help as well, isn't get it? Get help. Yeah. yeah. Which was originally dead fish. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Let's oh, wow. play dead fish. It's humiliating. <laughs> yes. It's just, dead yeah. fish would be somehow even more Loki humiliating. Is the dead fish? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and you mentioned uh, Alan Taylor there, and Thor: The Dark World, uh, from the outside looking in, seems to be the movie that had the most surgery mm. performed upon mm-hmm. it. Uh, is that fair to say? What was it like being on the inside of that movie? I know there were reshoots, significant reshoots. And- yes. Yeah. Well, I think I think initially the the very well intentioned idea was to try to to kind of just rough up to sort of make rugged asgard a bit more that asgard was mm. introduced as a very it's an immaculate city mm. um and you'd seen the palace and you'd seen all the royal chambers you'd seen the the public halls of state yeah, yeah, yeah. but you hadn't seen the pubs and you hadn't seen the corridors and you hadn't seen the streets you hadn't sort of um and uh, so the design concept on the dark world was to try and root asgard to try and get under the earth of it in a way and it was 
quite serious in tone because of the you know the threat of these ancient the dark elves yeah were was was supposed to be a very kind of um just a, a terrifying premise yeah. yeah um and i think there were reshoots because actually the the tone of the, f- the film never quite lifted it actually in a well-intentioned trying to root it in something almost weighed it down mm-hmm. and so the reshoots were trying to just vary the tone a bit so it had a bit of light and shade and the most interesting thing for me was mm-hmm. about the about the dark world was that loki's so this i think is the first time i've said this in a public okay. context right is um so L- loki's death on Svartalheim uh-huh. was written as a as a death. Oh wow! Okay, and and I so Chris and I played that scene for real. Oh wow! Okay, so but, that that was it. It you was were, you it were done. Was, that was meant to be. Yeah, that was meant to be. Sort of that he redeemed himself. He helped save his brother and helped mm-hmm. save Jane Foster. Yeah, but that's but that he in the process sacrificed himself. And was that something um, that you had been pushing for? Or was that something no, no, that it was something just that organic? Was, it was written. It was it was okay. written very much. It was part of the original pitch, and um, I, in uh, in test screenings, it, the audience didn't accept it. They said he's well, he's just you know he's coming. He's obviously coming back. <laughs> that wasn't. That didn't really happen. Um, and. And it was, and they just, it was a sort of, there was a very strange and and almost unanimous resistance to it. Uh-huh. Wow. They just decided that they didn't like, they didn't, that wasn't the end. <laughs> and, and then I think that something, un, this is the, I think the genius of, of what they do at Marvel is something unlocked itself for, for the producers, for Kevin, for Alan Taylor and for um, the writers, which was, what if that, that, maybe that it wasn't real and that it was another shape-shifting yeah mercurial trick yes on loki's part and that he'd actually pulled the wool over everyone's eyes including thor yeah and at the very very end of the film the animus he has had for three films which is that he wanted to be thor's equal he wanted to be accepted by odin yeah. As, yeah. as an equal he ends up on the throne um and it's it's uh, it's such a great twist and the reason it works is because i didn't even know it was a twist (laughs) um (laughs) so you had your michael corleone moment just when i thought i was out they pulled me back in pulled me back in yeah so um and that was also the beginning of uh of anthony hopkins playing odin as loki everything's connected everything's all it's all connected it's the chaos theory in full effect yeah exactly but I think that really speaks to the uh, popularity of the character. And I don't know whether you have a, th- a feeling about this, but uh, I don't think Marvel expected Loki to catch on the way that he has, given no. that he does try and wipe out a whole lot of people and kills, well, kills Agent Coulson in the first <laughs> Avengers. We should be booing and hissing him every time he comes yeah, on, should, on yeah. screen. But I think his popularity means that people say, no, we want him alive. We want to, and we want to see him evolve and maybe yeah. lose some of the ragged edges a little bit. I think that's part of the character and that's why it's such a great character. Mm. And I think it goes back to the myths is that he's part of the pantheon. Mm. He belongs in... I mean, he's not so much a part of the pantheon that we don't have a day named after him, sadly. Yeah. Um, you know, we have an Odin's day, we have a Frigga's day and we have a Thor's day. Mm-hmm. Um, no Loki day. So he obviously <laughs> wasn't that important. <laughs> um, yes, it's... Um, I, I really... And I, I sort of owe that to... The, the writing of the first 
film. Uh-huh. And I always think about the late Don Payne, who was a uh, who wrote that first script. And that's there is the scene in the vault where Odin tells Loki he was not in, he's not in fact Thor's brother or indeed an Odin son. Mm-hmm. And I think if you take away the reference to Jotunheim or Frost Giants or, or, or the specifics of the mythology and you'd put that scene in any film and it's a father telling a son mm-hmm. that he that he was adopted and he ha- and he hasn't this is a, a lie that yeah, he has been unaware of. Yeah. It just works as drama. And Kenneth Branagh encouraged me and Anthony Hopkins to be so honest and vulnerable in that scene that it gives me it, it has become a cornerstone to the entire characterization. So anything a little too mischievous, potentially malevolent, that Loki does in Avengers, in the Dark World, in Ragnarok, people go, yeah, but, you know, <laughs> he's adopted. <laughs> and uh, people that haven't been very nice, you know, and also like also the moment where, you know, Loki is um, hanging off the edge of a cliff trying to win his father's pride and his father's response is simply no. People have compassion for Loki's predicament. So I think I'm really lucky in that there's a, there's a vulnerability and a, 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 there's a terrible rage and, and, and heartbreak at the center of him, which gives me more license to go further with the mischief. Mm. And, and that in the characterization is a, is a unique cocktail to be so charming, so twinkling, so um, wicked and delightful. But underneath it is these shifting continents mm-hmm. of emotional pain. Mm. And that's a gift for any actor. I did ask a number of your uh, fans. So I've got lots of questions, but okay. I'll throw a couple of quick fire ones. Okay, there, I'll right? try and be it's quick okay. and All right, not so, loquacious. Uh, so this one comes from at jam underscore wa. How did Loki know the word quim? <laughs> there's, there's a cracker to start with. Because Joss Whedon wrote it. <laughs> as simple as that. Now, Loki uh, at Loki underscore Lego. I believe this uh, is uh, an account Lego of Loki. which you're aware, yes. Yes. Uh, Lego Loki, let's just give it up for Lego Loki. Lego has done Loki. Lego versions of almost every film I've made. It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. And in, there's an entire Lego version of High Rise. <laughs> every, almost every frame. And yeah. also the stage plays. Yeah. Coriolanus, Hamlet. Yeah. Remarkable. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Let's give it up, everybody. Give it up for Lego Lucky, who asks, please ask Thomas if he knows how to get to Greenwich from Charing Cross on the tube. Listen, I took this up with everybody at Marvel. <laughs> I saw the film and I said, guys, come on. You, like, you made this film in London. Why did nobody ask... Was it's not? It, what does it Thor say? He says it's three stops on the uh, three stops. Line. Yeah, three stops. Change here and there. Go three stops. I, and never, it's, I will it's never, just... as long as I live and breathe, forget the groans at the London premiere when everybody <laughs> who got the tubes. Oh come! Oh come on! What's on the circle line? Yeah. It's, everyone knows it's the DLR. Yeah, you know. And I remember saying to saying to everyone at Marvels like, you, "You had a whole British crew. Why didn't you just ask them?" Yeah. Anyway, precisely. it makes me laugh. <laughs> do you know how to do it though? How to get to Greenwich from where? Charing Cross. Charing Cross. Um... I mean, I'm a North Londoner, so... Oh, come on, Tom. So, hang on a second. The Jubilee? No. It's the DLR, You can do the Jubilee, yeah. You can, get the, you can do the Jubilee. You can go so to, you get um, the Jubilee from um, Bank? No, from, uh, from Waterloo. 
you can go yeah you go to Waterloo so you, you go to Northern Line Waterloo and then Jubilee to North Greenwich Jubilee to North Greenwich get a couple of buses into, into it's Greenwich it's not called the DLR anymore is it it is called the DLR but that's from that goes from Bank so you go from Charing Cross to Bank there we go. get the DLR and you've got a number of stations there. I choose nine one. points to Gryffindor <laughs> uh, Terry Girl MD asks have you ever stolen something from the set as a memento of Loki I, I wish I had no I haven't <laughs> Chris has about eight hammers. <laughs> he must be doing a lot of DIY. Yeah. Uh, and then the last thing from Fixworth is, if you were trapped in one of Doctor Strange's time loops, which Loki scene would you be happy to play over and over and over again? Oh, that's an excellent question. Can I throw that back at you while I think about it? Which scene do you think I should play over and over, <laughs> over again? <laughs> well, it depends. If you want to play something fun, then it might be something from Ragnarok. Yeah. If you want to play, if you want to play the, Get the, Help, that would just hurt. That would no. That yeah. that would be bad. Uh, um, but um, the in terms of uh, raw emotional power, and you don't want to play the, the Hulk Ragdoll sequence again. You, you don't want to play the Hulk Ragdoll. You can't play the vault scene because that's nobody tough. can cry that much. Yeah. At some point, you have to stop crying. <laughs> um, oh, what scene would I like to play? It's funny when you ask me that question. Like it is got to, probably got to be a scene with Chris Hemsworth, mm. and it's worth saying because. As the world now knows, he's hilarious, mm-hmm. but he always has been hilarious. And so whenever we're doing those two-handers, we've now been doing it for average eight years, nine years, um, we'd have the best time. And he's a great friend and a lovely man. So something with him. Okay. Not, I have been falling for 30 minutes. <laughs> well, then I'd be falling forever. <laughs> um, not the elevator scene. Which one would it be? Which one do you think? Out of all the scenes, I can't think, I can't think. I, can't I like think. the elevator scene. I also like the, uh, I like the scene in Ragnarok. It's just a terrible block where I can't remember yeah. the scenes. I like the scene where you visit him in a spectral form, uh, piss off ghost, that scene. And you have a very nice heart-to-heart. Yes, that yes that's yeah. a good one. Yeah. And also, there's, a lot, there's actually some good scenes in the dark world. Uh, maybe the... Uh, the scene where um, the scene in the scene in the dark world actually went when they're doing all that tricking of of Malekith. Oh yes, with yes. Jane Foster. Yeah, we had a very good time. We were on a um, there's a glacier on top of a volcano in Iceland, and which is where all the black earth comes from. Mm-hmm. We had an absolute hoot at the top of that hill. It was so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> we're both very silly individuals and then we bring out the silliness in each other, I think. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, there Tom, you go. Tom. Thank you, Chris. Say goodbye to Lucky. Or do we? I don't know. Let's not get into it. Let's not get into it. We'll, <laughs> no, we'll I see. Couldn't, I couldn't, I <laughs> we shall see. Possibly. All right, brilliant. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Thanks Tom. Man. Cheers. And that was Tom Hiddleston and that is it for this special episode of the Empire Podcast. Don't forget the Avengers Infinity War spoiler special is up on Monday. That's the 30th of April, I think. I'm not entirely sure. She probably should check that. And the regular podcast is out every Friday. If you don't already, please do subscribe. And if you could leave some lovely five-star reviews on iTunes, that would be amazing. Anyway, until we and Tom Hiddleston meet again, it's time for me to make a low-key exit. See what it did? It's good. Anyway. See you next time. Bye.